Now the king went in to see the guests, and he saw there a man who had not on a wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? But he was speechless. Words taken from today's Holy Gospel. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. In the Holy Bible, there are some books, some writings known as the books of Maccabees. These books tell about the Jews fighting against evil people who wanted to destroy their religion. During the time of the Maccabees, there was a very evil man named Antiochus. Antiochus was a pagan king who hated the Jews and the true religion at that time. King Antiochus sent his servant Heliodorus to steal money and gold from the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. Heliodorus was going to take the riches from the temple that were meant to help out orphans and widows. The Jews prayed that the Lord would protect his holy temple and prevent the theft from taking place. The pagan servant Heliodorus boldly invaded the temple of God, seeking to take its riches and to give them to the evil king. But angels, God's angels, his special servants, would not allow such a boldness to remain unanswered. The Bible tells us that an angel, appearing as a dreadful rider on a horse, confronted Heliodorus. Charging furiously, the horse attacked Heliodorus with his hooves. Then two angels, appearing as young men, began to scourge, flog, and beat Heliodorus until they gave him countless blows and left him half dead. The man who had boldly entered into the holy temple was soon carried out on a stretcher. This experience actually helped convert Heliodorus. The Bible tells us that he offered sacrifice to the one true God. And then he stated, the God who has his dwelling in heaven watches over that temple and protects it. And he strikes down and destroys those who would come to harm it. The son of God, Jesus Christ, is the one true God. And he too protects his holy temple, his sanctuary, his altar from invasion, especially through the ministry of bishops and priests. Because the temple of God is most holy. And yes, the most blessed of all sacraments, the Holy Eucharist in the sanctuary, is a most holy food. Literally, the flesh and blood, the soul and divinity of the most high God, Jesus Christ. Angels are literally around this holy altar. And they are stationed near every tabernacle, adoring the real and substantial presence of the Son of God and Son of Mary. And yes, bishops and priests are called to protect the Holy of Holies from invasion and, yes, sacrilege. The Holy Council of Trent insisted that an examination of conscience was necessary as one approached the communion rail. This council of the 16th century taught, quote, no one conscious of mortal sin, that is, no one aware of a serious sin that would take grace away from the soul, no one conscious of mortal sin, however contrite he may seem to himself, should approach the Holy Eucharist without a 
previous sacramental confession. And this strong teaching dates back ultimately to the New Testament and the fathers of the church. St. Paul wrote, Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord unworthily will have to answer for the body and blood of the Lord. A person, he adds, should examine himself and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who drinks and eats without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. Now this apostolic teaching is then repeated throughout the ages, including the patristic age, the age of the church fathers. From the ancient text called the Didache comes the following statement, if anyone is holy, let him come to communion. If anyone is not, let him repent. St. Cyprian of Carthage, a father of the church in the early third century, commented on St. Paul's passage, which was just mentioned. St. Cyprian of Carthage says, but they spurn and despise all the warnings of the apostle. And before their sins are expiated, before they have made a confession of their crime, before their conscience has been purged in the ceremony and at the hand of a priest, before the offense against an angry and threatening Lord has been appeased, they do violence to his body and blood. Unquote. Now, in a document from the bishops of the United States called Happier Those Who Are Called to His Supper, I'm preparing to receive Christ worthily in the Eucharist, written a few years back, our good bishops continue the teaching of St. Paul and the Council of Trent. The bishops ask all of us to examine our consciences more and more as we approach the Holy of Holies. The bishops write the following. In order to receive Holy Communion, we must be in communion with God and with the church. Mortal sin constitutes a rejection of communion with God and therefore destroys the life of grace within us. If we are no longer in the state of grace because of mortal sin, we are seriously obliged to refrain from receiving Holy Communion until we are reconciled with God and the church with confession. A lot of continuity there. But in this modern age that has lost its sense of sin, many are clueless in regards to this grave warning and they invade the Holy of Holies even if they are in a state of mortal sin. And that is why back in 2004, Cardinal Ratzinger sought to correct this behavior. He said the practice of indiscriminately presenting oneself to receive Holy Communion merely because he's at Mass is an abuse that has to be corrected. And so Catholics always need to ask themselves certain questions when they go to Holy Mass. Have I fasted for at least an hour? Am I in communion with the Catholic Church and the Catholic faith? Have I incurred any serious penalties from the church? Am I guilty of grave sin? In fact, a good examination of conscience is listed in that document I mentioned from the U.S. bishops. Mortal sins that would require confession include things like believing and honoring 
as divine anyone or anything other than God. Swearing a false oath while invoking God as a witness, failing to worship God on Sundays and holy days of obligation without a serious reason. Serious disobedience against proper authority, committing murder, including all those things that are under it. And then it says engaging in illicit sexual activity outside the bonds of valid marriage of one man and one woman. The ads further stealing and so forth. This list is not exhaustive, but you get the point. But in this modern age of confusion, it seems that the desire for inclusiveness, political correctness, and diversity of behaviors and lifestyles being allowed to sit at the table is all the rage. Gone are the days, we're told, of exclusionary practices and segregation. Hence we have the present situation that just ended in the eternal city. You know, a good woman I know sent me an email recently where she listed some interesting things that have happened on various October 13th in the past. That date, October 13th. Pope Leo XIII of holy memory had his famous vision of the devil being unleashed to wreak havoc upon the world for a hundred years on the day October 13th. On 10-13-1917, we also had the miracle of the sun, which included its plummeting towards the earth as if to destroy it. There was also a private revelation made to Sister Agnes of Akita in Japan back in the 1970s, where Our Lady stated on October 13th that cardinals would fight against cardinals and bishops would fight against their fellow bishops. And yes, on October 13th, 2014, just a few days ago, we had the release of the Relatio, that is an account, a written account of what actually happened to that time at the Synod on the Family in Rome. It seems that some church leaders are not very interested in guarding the Holy of Holies. Although the document holds no real authoritative weight, some of the statements in it were very disturbing. We were told that homosexuals have gifts and qualities to offer to the Christian community. And then this very confusing statement is followed by a question to the bishops of the whole world asking them, are we capable of welcoming these people, guaranteeing to them a fraternal brotherly space in our communities? The Relatio continued stating, a new sensitivity in today's pastoral methods consists in grasping the positive realities of civil, secular weddings, i.e. public adultery of the remarried divorced, as well as meeting cohabiting couples where they are. An appeal is made to pastors to have the courage to adapt to the modern way, as opposed to confront and correct. Somehow then, a number of the participants at the Synod 
would like to have a more inclusive church where the sacred banquet of the Holy Eucharist is offered to all without any judgment or discernment. But you know, the exclusionary words of St. Paul come to mind. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor the effeminate, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor railers, nor extortioners shall possess the kingdom of God. In my mind, this apostle demonstrated what is real courage. Thank goodness that a few days after October 13th, a certain Pauline faction amongst some good cardinals launched a counter-offensive at the Synod with a new yet old way to word the perennial teaching. They wrote, the doctrine of the church on the indissolubility of matrimony and non-admission of the remarried divorce to the sacraments of confession and the Eucharist cannot be changed. And so what happened on the end, on October 18th, just yesterday, was a compromise document. A compromise document emerged, which, though less offensive than the original, is still a compromise. It basically says some bishops say this, some bishops say that, we'll work it out in the end. It reads more like a sociology text than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, today's holy gospel, there's mentioning of a king. And this king longs for all to gather around the altar for the feast of the Holy Eucharist, that sacred heavenly banquet. The king, in fact, in the gospel today, forcefully compels guests to come into the wedding feast to receive knowing that the nourishment offered is necessary. For unless you eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of Man, you have no life in you. But it should be noted that only those with a wedding garment can feast. You know that? Those without proper raiment, those in a state of mortal sin, those who are fixed in a sinful situation or lifestyle and are unwilling to change are excluded from feasting. Pastoral concern for people in difficult situations can never trump the clear message of the gospel that prohibits the invasion of the sanctuary by those without a wedding garment. Our Holy Father did make a good point recently, namely that the Holy Eucharist is not to be seen as a treat as a gold star, as a reward for someone who has scored perfectly that week. As the great Franciscan St. Bonaventure once stated, we do not go to Holy Communion because we are worthy, but because that we might become less and less unworthy. And so as we approach communion, we needy souls and wounded souls say with confidence, Domine non sum dignus, O Lord, I am not worthy. Yes, the Lord one day will give himself to us as a reward while we're in heaven. But while we're still on earth in this valley of tears, in this conflict in the church militant, our good Lord gives himself as a means of support and a remedy. He is the great healer. But at the 
same time, so important. The Holy Eucharist is still a sacrament of the living. That is, a sacrament of the living, as the catechisms tell us, where one must be alive in a state of grace in order to receive the blessed sacrament. Baptism and confession are sacraments of the dead. We go there because we have original sin as an infant, or if we fall into mortal sin, we go to confession, and we can receive that sacrament even to mortal sin because it is a sacrament of the dead. But Holy Communion is not. A sacrament of living is Holy Communion, and grace ought to be in the soul. Supernatural life should be within the Christian who receives. He should have a wedding garment even if it is somewhat soiled. Therefore, those in mortal sin without grace in the soul ought not to receive. Just like one would not feed a corpse, so one should not receive the Holy Eucharist when spiritually dead. Finally, it was only after our Lord raised the daughter of Jairus from the dead that he asked that she be given something to eat. Resuscitation first, then food. One must be raised from spiritual death in order that one might eat of the lamb. The Holy Eucharist is a remedy for the sick and wounded, but it's not for the dead. While it is good that people are willing and able to participate in the wedding feast when in a state of venial sin and with many faults and imperfections, it is not proper that one should become so familiar with the king as to approach him spiritually dead. It would not only be useless to receive Holy Communion in such a state, for spiritual corpses cannot eat, but it would also be a sacrilegious communion. It would be a profane invasion of the sanctuary, and it would mean inviting Christ into a soul that is a den of thieves. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.